Despite a shaky second half, the Raptors hold off the Miami Heat for a 107-103 victory, their second win of the NBA restart. Freddie looked like rounds three and four Freddie. The Raps shot extremely well at the free throw line, and the refs taught us something new about flagrant fouls. This is the full timeout. Joining me in the huddle today is S. Barahini of True Sports TV and Raptors Republic. Uh, it puts out these great previews for Raptors Republic called Three Points. Uh, awesome, really informative, quick hitters to get tuned up for the games, especially on a long weekend. S, thanks for stopping by and welcome to the show. Yeah, no worries, man. And thank you. Thank you for that. I, I'm glad someone appreciates the, the Three Points videos. <laughs> yeah, no, like the, like it, it's just, it's not just the previews, right? You got the, you got, a, you got great graphics going on. Um, is, is it all you that kind of puts it together? They're, they're really well done. Yeah, man. Yeah, the editing and uh, the shooting and all that stuff is me. It's uh, it's it's me. I do all that. Yeah, I like editing though, so it's it's a fun part of the whole whole thing. That's great. I, I, before we really get started, what is it about Goran Dragic that just puts fear into the hearts of Raps fans everywhere? For me, he's right up there with uh, the Gerald Hendersons and the Dougie McDermott's of the world. Obviously, a bit more decorated than those two, but still an all-time great Raptors killer. Yeah, I, I was actually just talking to this about someone, and I think one of the main things is he not only does he instill fear, but he instills hatred because we we do not like Goran Dragic above uh, in in the we the North category of things. I think uh, it's it's interesting because the dynamic with Dragic is that he the, the I think honestly, if you want me to be honest, this may sound a little silly, but I think it's because he's left-handed. I genuinely feel the the left-handedness of Dragic is what makes him so good against the Raptors. Now that might make no sense at all, but at the same time, I think it, it kind of stops Lowry and Van Vliet from being as elite on the defensive end against him. I, I don't know. Could be, could be something outlandish though. Yeah. It's, it's just gone to this point where I, I, I don't even doubt that he's going to have a good game. And I think it wasn't a coincidence that, um, you know, he was on the court when they made that run. He comes off. We we kind of build a little bit of a buffer of a lead. He comes in for like the last three minutes, and and then it's just chaos down the end. Yeah. Although I will say he was part of those last two turnovers. So that's right. He he came up uh, came up big during the game, but when it counted, did not. So. Right. Right. Now a lot was made of the Raptors' previous struggles with the Heat, specifically that zone defense that limited Toronto to an abysmal six of forty-two shooting from outside in their last matchup. That's when they went to Miami. Uh, Kyle and Freddie had gone three of twenty-three from that game specifically. Today we didn't really see that zone in full effect. S was that a bit of Miami maybe keeping their cards to their chest, or was it just because Toronto was was shooting really well for the Heat to go zone? I would probably say it's a bit of both. Um, I, I think as as much as Miami's kind of holding back their zone because I do think that is one of their more lethal defensive weapons. Um, I do think it was that Toronto got off to a really really good start from deep. I mean, at the first quarter, Pascal Siakam dropped 15 points. I think he had three three pointers in the first quarter only. So, um, you know, the, the the thing was we were hitting the shots. And listen, in January when we faced them, if we were hitting those shots, they would have adjusted and taken out the zone anyways too. It's just that 
at, at that time, we just couldn't buy a bucket at all from behind the arc. Um, one thing that I think also inhibits them from doing the zone is a guy like Marc Gasol. Um, and you saw that when he was in the game today. He was really good at breaking down the zone defense that the Heat had and, and whether it was, you know, passing out or potentially just driving it in or even shooting from behind the arc, if you, even if you're missing it he adds that extra level of, of, of a threat onto the Raptors offense. So I think that was what made it so that they didn't run the, the zone as much. Right, just to have that seven-foot playmaker who can make decisions, see over the top of the zone was huge. And, and for the small little burst that they went into zone, I thought the Raps handled it well. Um, now, in game one of the restart, Kyle Lowry did a lot of the heavy lifting down the stretch. Today it was Mr. Bet on Yourself, setting a career high in points, dropping 36. How encouraging was it to see him perform like this today, specifically because the last time he saw Jimmy Butler and an array of long and versatile defenders, it was when he struggled against Philly in the second round. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and you know, Fred, not only about the second round, but let's talk about just, you know, the scrimmage games and, and the last seeding game. He struggled offensively. He has definitely struggled offensively, and that's that's kind of it, – it, it's been a telling thing. I don't know if it's maybe a nagging injury or maybe he's just not in shape yet or he has to play himself into shape, but he definitely shot himself out of a slump today. Um, you know, and the shot wasn't going. The thing with Fred is that he has to be confident and aggressive in order for his game to work. Like, he can't be passive. He can't necessarily be that guy who's – um, you know, missing up on open shots, he has to take the shots that he usually takes because it, it's it's what creates his offense for him. It's it's the, it kind of gets him into a rhythm early into the game, and I think because he did that early in this one, it helped him to have a really really strong game throughout the game. I, I thought that was really important, man. He he finally got into a rhythm. And back to your Jimmy Butler point, I don't know if it was necessarily Jimmy, but I think it was the length of Philly that, that really affected him. And Miami is similar in that sense, but he, he came out with, with something completely different today. And, and, and it's good when he's hitting from behind the arc. That's the thing. If he's hitting those long-range shots, his confidence, confidence is through the roof. So it works a lot better that way. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, again, I mean, you'll have – uh, naysayers say that you know having Fred and Kyle on the court at the same time is not successful or sustainable long term. But I mean, today they made it look amazing. It was really efficient. Um, I I saw a tweet that you had put out a, a little bit earlier about the Raptors' team like approach being a a curse and a blessing at the same time. Um, and, and and their offense being at some point sporadic, uh, but then in other times it's, it, it makes them also very difficult to kind of defend against. Um, what are your thoughts on, on that approach, uh, especially after seeing them play in, I won't say playoff-like games, but these last two games with the Lakers and the Heat, uh, they've had that grinded out style throughout most of the, most of the game. I just uh, I want to touch on something you said about Lowry and Van Vliet. I actually am, might be in the minority here, but I do think, that they work really, really well together when they're on the court. Obviously, you have two guys who can facilitate and uh, and be ball handlers. But on the same side, Fred VanVleet is really elite off ball. Catch and shoot guy. He knows how to catch it in rhythm and shoot, uh, especially in those corners when they do the dump and drive. It works really, really well. I think that's a big part of the Raptors game, actually, is to have both those guys on the floor when it comes to crunch time and obviously starting. 
and and it it creates a dynamic because they're both very good defenders for their size. So it creates a different dynamic than any other NBA team. Um, but going back to your point about um, about that tweet that I actually made about the curse and the blessing, it's true. It, it genuinely is. Every single night, you have no idea who's going to be the lead scorer for the Raptors. You know, you have a hunch whether it's Siakam, whether it's Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Norman Powell even could do it. Serge Ibaka has had nights where he's been that player for them. Gasol, but not so much. Maybe even a Terrence Davis at some points during, during the season. Um, if you go back, I'm sure if you go back and look at who's been the lead scorer for the Raptors, you'll probably get the most amount of variance in, on, on any other NBA team. And I think that is a good thing because teams don't necessarily – they can't garner a, a scouting report. They can't create a defensive scheme around one specific player. But I think it's also a curse because at the same time, every time you're trying to start up your offense during the game, you have to figure out who's that guy for you tonight. And that's, that's kind of an issue the Raptors always have. We talk about the half-court offense and we talk about the struggles there. That comes with the territory of having all these players – that can pick any given night to go and drop 20 points on you. Right. And that versatility is obviously one thing that makes it difficult for opposing teams to game plan for them. You truly have to be able to guard one through five. And Miami is one of those teams. Like I know Pascal was, like you said, hot early on, um, 13 points on great percentages. You said, you know, you hit a couple threes. Um, but that was mostly with Crowder and, and Robinson on him. The Heat eventually deployed Bam in the second half a bit more. Um, and, and Pascal struggled to create offense for himself here and there. The whole team was often caught going deep into the shot clock. If the Raptors were to match up with Miami in the postseason, what makes the Heat such a, a difficult opponent for Toronto? I think it's it's more so just the grittiness of the Heat. Um, it, it seems like every time the Raptors and the Heat play, there's some scuffles, there's some chatter, there's some talk. And, you know, I, I think the Raptors are one of those teams that's susceptible to that because they have uh, vocal players. They have Serge Ibaka, who's a vocal player. They have Kyle Lowry, who's a so vocal player. Fred Van Vliet, who can also be a vocal player. So I think it, it, it is – the fact that the Heat and the Raptors, I was saying this earlier too, they're kind of the spitting images of each other in a sense where they're all a lot of unproven young players. Even Jimmy Butler, who earlier in his career was an unproven player. Uh, a lot of guys who have that bet on myself, everybody doubts me mentality. And when you clash those two types of teams together, you're going to have a lot of heated battles. And, and this game was heated. Pretty much every game that they've had this season has been heated. We had that overtime game earlier in the year. And then the one that felt like a 1990s game in January. Um, I, I think it, it's it's interesting because they're they're spitting images of each other, both at an organizational level and sometimes even at a team level. And I think that's what causes all these matchup issues that you have with the Heat and the Raptors. If I'm a Raptors fan right now, I really want them to avoid Miami at any cost because it's going to be a tr tr just like a drag of a series. I mean, even this game was a drag because your heart is in it and and. Honestly, it was nervous towards the end. You knew that Miami was going to come back and try to make a run at it, run at it and they did. Um, I think that's that's kind of the big part about Miami is that they have the same kind of fight in them that the Raptors have, and that's always scary when you're in a playoff series. Yeah, and for just to kind of stay on this whole theme, uh, defensive grittiness, for, for a second straight game, the one thing that has remained consistent – with Toronto is their defensive effort. And it was fitting that 
it was in this game it was sealed on a defensive stop with that deflection uh, from from Freddie. We saw OG was already pre-switched on Bam throughout the night. Raps continue to pack the paint. What have you liked about Toronto's overall defense after two games into the NBA restart? I think it's been the best we've seen it. <laughs> if if I'm going to be honest with you, I think they've been really on point the rotation. And and one guy who has just been absolutely amazing, I think everybody can agree on this, is OG Ananobi. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen, obviously, he's been a great defender throughout his career, but he's really taken that next level that he's asserting himself as a defender. Obviously, today he took Bam out of bio and limited him to 10 points, I believe, five rebounds, four assists. So he, he did a really, really good job on Bam today, did a great job on LeBron yes, uh, two days ago. And we see that he's growing into a guy that you can rely on both defensively and offensively. So I think the defense has been something that the Raptors can kind of hang their hat on throughout the season, being the second best defense in the the league. I think it's something that they're going to continue to hang their hat on. And one thing I've noticed about the Raptors when I've just been breaking down plays on, on my uh, Twitter at Raptors film room, you can, you can go ahead and, and look at it and all of their, defensive possessions help create transition and fast break opportunities and those fast break opportunities the Raptors are some of the best fast break players and transition team in the NBA they're one of the best transition teams in the NBA and that helps a lot with their offense we've always heard about the half court offense and it being stagnant they have that fast break and the defense that they can rely on every single game I think it just it's just up to them to kind of assert themselves defensively. And when they do, like they have in the past two games, it's it's kind of it's great to watch. Yeah, no, and, and last po- last point on, on the Heat game, speaking of OG, um, I think we, we kind of have to dive into this. There were some interesting calls in the second half of this game. We saw OG get tripped up um, by Drogic, uh, results in a common foul. You know, Larry gets called on an offensive foul after he beat uh, Kelly Olenek to the rim, and then a flagrant is called on Kelly when he accidentally makes con- makes contact with Kyle's face. What was your reaction to to all that mayhem? Because I know Raptors Twitter was uh, popping off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as they as they usually do, and as they should. Shout out to Raptors Twitter. But um, I, I think one of the one of the main things with uh, with the foul calls is that there's really a, a, a sense of ambiguity to it that it's, it's ambiguous in, in the sense that like the call doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? It just, it just doesn't make sense. And it's great because now we can hear what the referees are actually telling the, the broadcasters. Right. So we know what the reasoning is behind it. I think for the Goran Dragic one, it was that OG didn't get injured on the play. So if OG had breaking his ankle, then it would have been a flagrant foul. That that makes that makes no sense to me. And then if you go back to Kyle Lowry and he got hit and that was a flagrant foul, okay, because Kyle Lowry didn't lose the ball, lose his eye, that would be a common foul. That it's just some of that is is ambiguous. I think the refs are kind of playing it by the ear, and that shouldn't happen. The rules have to change in order to kind of have a clear, distinct definition of what a flagrant foul is, what a flagrant foul two is, and and all that. Yeah, shout out to that ref who knew what he was about to say with the cameras all on him, the mics are up. He knew it was ridiculous, but the, the stone-cold face and the confidence that he said it with, yeah, impressive. Uh, it really changed the momentum of that game too. Toronto was up by quite a bit, with just uh, I think it was halfway through the third, and, and that's when Miami really began its comeback tour. So um, it, it had a huge impact on the game. 
S, before we let you go, quickly help us preview the Raps' next game against the Orlando Magic. They're currently holding down that seventh spot. Obviously a big loss with Isaac going down, but what do you see with this really, the potential first-round matchup and, and I guess first-round rematch with the Magic and the Raps? Yeah, I, I think I can speak for, uh, for every single Raptors fan here. We're trying to finish that series in four games. I don't want to see more than five games of the Orlando Magic, to be honest with you. It's just drool. It's grueling basketball. It, it's, it's boring. And realistically, you know, especially with Isaac, there's no real threat to stop a Siakam, to, to contain a Fred, uh, Fred Van Vliet, to contain a Kyle Lowry. Um, and defensively, they, they've lost a huge guy in Isaac, for, for sure. I think in general, the Raptors should handedly beat the Magic regardless of who gets to play. I think Nick Nurse might use this as a game to kind of figure out his bench a little bit more because we've mm-hmm. talked about the bench struggling. I could see the bench playing more minutes in this game be just because you're going to have a lot of harder games at the tail end of these seeding games, right? You have Boston coming up, you have Milwaukee coming up, and you got Denver and Philadelphia. I, I just – I think – or this Orlando game is kind of your gimme. And if it's your gimme, you can go ahead and test out certain things, figure out maybe a different bench lineup that works a little bit better. I, I mean, I, we saw today uh, Lowry was put in with the bench and it helped them create a little bit more offense. Ibaka get off to a little bit better of a start. Norman Powell was feeling a little bit more confidence. But as soon as Lowry got taken out, it went right back to zero and the bench didn't know what to do. So I, I think – maybe figuring out a way to get the bench into the game a little bit more and get their rhythm set in place. Because right now they are all over the place. Rondé Hollis Jefferson was awful. Terrence Davis was awful. Norman Powell still struggled from the field. So I I think that, that key, the key point, I guess, if we're going based on the three points would be, uh, would be to, to get the bench going against Orlando. Yeah, it should be a good one. Um, the Raptors take on the Orlando Magic this Wednesday. Tip-off is, is just after 8 p.m. Uh, S, that wraps up our show. Uh, thanks again for coming on to talk Raptors basketball. I know you had mentioned the Raptors film room, but uh, where else can we find you and your great content? Uh, well, you can, you can find me on Twitter at just S Barahini. That's uh, J-U-S-T-E-S-B-A-R-A-H-E-N-I. And if you genuinely don't feel like spelling that out for yourself, just search up Just Us. I'm sure you can figure it out. Um, thank you so much for having me on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. And as always, go check out my stuff on Raptors Republic and True Sports TV. I make tons of great basketball content, tons of great Raptors content out there. So, yeah, thanks for having me, man. Definitely. I'm a big fan myself. Um, for everyone that's listening, thanks for tuning in. That's officially the end of this full timeout. We'll catch you guys again later this week.